the unfortunate reality of like, you know, the flip side of what we talked about at the top, which was like our lives are aligned, you're making more friends, you're so much more connected, is that disruptive behavior has kind of become more widespread, or maybe we're just more susceptible to it because we're also online, right? So the stakes are getting higher and higher. How do we minimize disruptive behavior in online environments and on platforms? Carly, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you, Sadie. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I have this whole theory about like how we make relationships in the digital world. And it's like, first you're connected on LinkedIn, right? Then maybe you're like connected on Instagram and some other channel. And then you have a virtual call and then you finally get to meet in real life. So I think like the podcast is somewhere between like the virtual call stage and meeting in real life. So we're almost fully made it to like full-fledged relationship yeah <laughs> that's perfect that's actually a great way to describe our relationship we met on linkedin <laughs> dabbled in some instagram stories liking them back and forth stock each other on instagram stories you know it's how the world works these days uh, but i've been wanting to get to, i know i've been wanting to get to know you forever because you have such a one robust career in data science and then i'm sure like everyone is always curious like a female working in machine learning at a gaming company and not just any gaming company like call of duty right which i think for most people just stands out as like probably one of the most growing fields and you're so and bubbly and beautiful and smart and intelligence and all these things it's like how does she do it you know <laughs> This is already my favorite podcast ever. <laughs> it's been, you know, I, I did not see myself ending up here. I can't imagine working anywhere else. Um, I love Call of Duty. I've always loved it. And I don't know. I'm just excited that more people are seeing women in these spaces, right? Because we've always existed, but without LinkedIn, without Instagram, without like, you know, the world of content, people didn't really know what, you know, we all thought that it was the same, like three sweaty dudes with Cheetos all over their keyboards, which they exist. I mean, you know, we're not going to say they don't, but that's not all of us. A hundred percent. I do think that is such a positive of social platforms and they get such a bad rep all of the time, but it does allow us to have more exposure to people and for the next generations to just say, oh, like I can be this and I can do this. And I think that has a really positive effect. Um, but you started off in chemistry. So what was the journey from chemistry to machine learning? <laughs> it's all like a math, super smart, but like, you know, I'm sure there's a few turns in, along the way. It feels like it makes sense now. But when I was living it, I was like, my life is chaos and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like it was just misstep after misstep after misstep. But it's funny when you have so much distance between yourself and those decisions or missed decisions or whatever mistakes of the past, you look back and it feels like a much more smooth ride, right? Like when you're driving over the road, it's really bumpy. But when you look back, you're like, oh, that doesn't feel so bad because um, you can't necessarily see all the potholes up close <laughs> that you just drove over. Um, and I think that's kind of what it seems like to me now. I can look back and see at every point, like the decisions I've made that led me here that were good decisions and... Um, you know, with chemistry in particular, 
it was making the decision to pursue a more computational, like theoretical path in that field and get out of the laboratory that like led pretty nicely into machine learning because I was already programming and we were doing all this like large scale optimization. And so it makes sense now. But at the time, it was very much like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I feel very much the same in my own journey of like piano performance, neuroscience to data science. And like, I can weave a great story of how all of them are connected and made me better. But like in the midst of it, it's like, what am I doing? I'm it's OK. Talking about memes, you know how there's the meme of like going off the road and the exit and like you're on two wheels. That's what it feels like when you're making that career change, right? The iconic meme, which is like, but then going back, you're like, no, that was such a smooth ride. And there were all these positives and connections. We very much romanticize it. It was in no way chaotic or I was covered in coffee and worried about my future. So if you're in the midst of it for individuals, in the midst of making that change. I think it can be really refreshing to hear two people talking who have made the change to say, hey, it's going to feel chaotic. It's going to feel like you're not knowing what you're doing. You're making a 180 switch, but just stick with it, like stay with the path because it will all make sense later on. And I think more importantly, I don't know how you feel about this, but it makes you so much better at whatever the job you jump into next is, right? Because you're not coming with just one linear career path and most of the world isn't linear. You're coming with this really rich and robust experience. I totally agree. I think, you know, the most effective people that I've met to date are people who have had an interesting trajectory, right? Like they've found different, they've found their way in the world with a different path, maybe something that like didn't seem like it was going to make sense at the time, but they're the kind of people that overcome adversity. They're the kind of people that um, can draw on experiences from so many different areas, right? And in today's world, like that's so important because I hardly ever see super straightforward questions anymore. Like I feel like the questions we're all being asked to answer are just getting more and more challenging and difficult and need more and more creativity. Um, and so just kind of being vanilla, playing by the books, being like, you know, run of the mill is kind of not cutting it in terms of like the kind of personality it takes to really just like get shit done. <laughs> I, I can't agree more. And I think that also, you know, particularly as machines get more intelligence, they have that deep level of understanding in, in one subject, right? And so to me, like our superhuman power is being able to connect all of these diverse spheres that, and the experiences that we've had that machines won't be able to have, right? Like they're going to be way smart. They already are smarter than me in so many areas, but it's about being able to find connections that we could never have done before. <laughs> Today, you're a senior manager of machine learning strategy, Activision. What does that look like? How is machine learning used in the platform? When people talk about strategy, it can be very abstract, right? I'm not going to be able to uh, add a little less abstraction to that for you <laughs> because the nature of my role is so entwined with security, which has been an amazing career path. But it's been really hard for me because a big part of my life is online. Right. Like I share so much of myself on LinkedIn. I do podcasts like this with wonderful people like you. And 
I'm always wanting to talk more about my work. And there's this whole awesome thing that I do every day that I can't talk about. And it drives me crazy. But you know what? Maybe that's the universe telling me to have some semblance of self-control and not just put everything about myself online. Um, so I will say, so the way I like to answer this question is to not necessarily talk about Call of Duty, but talk about machine learning as it pertains to security, like theoretically. Um, so I'd say like, liken it to working at a bank. Let's imagine that, you know, you were doing machine learning for credit card fraud and all the ways that you would find that someone is doing something nefarious that they shouldn't be doing. Maybe the way you figure out that someone's committing fraud is that their card gets used really far away from where they normally are, right? You have like a hundred mile radius that you're like, this is where they kick it. If it goes outside of that, well, you know, it's fraud. Oh, but sometimes people travel and you hate that user experience, don't you? And you travel and your card gets declined. That's a bummer. So you want to make your things a little smarter than that. And conversely, the credit card fraudsters are going to figure out, oh, hey, I just need to buy stuff within 100 miles of the zip code of the card, right? And so there's this constant battle between user experience and not giving too much information to the people who are trying to do bad things so that they can work around your systems. And I think for machine learning, that's a really interesting place because it's part anomaly detection, but it's also hugely impacted by what people are doing and your user behavior changes so fundamentally and it changes often. And it's kind of crazy to try to figure that out because just by the act of like classification, right? You're changing the nature of the problem and you're changing the nature of what your model is going to eventually be looking for. Um, and I've always found that interesting when you have like human adversaries and like they're actually actively trying to get around your systems. It's actually a really fun space. But it's stressful. <laughs> no, I I've looked into security a few times. Security is one of those like you're faced with a question and there's, you know, three doors of like which avenue do you want to go down? And I like peek open to the door to security and I'm like, no, that's it's a zero sum game, right? You can never win. You can just protect yourself and to me i'm like that seems really stressful <laughs> yeah and then we talk about why i'm having an existential crisis it's because that's the reality of my life you'll never win you're just always going to be the band-aid it's like oh great is that job security or is it overwhelming yeah there's no arriving in security i think that's the main thing so when we talk about machine learning security you're we're talking about using machine learning for security purposes not necessarily what i've been thinking a lot about lately is how are we protecting our machine learning models from vulnerable attacks right as we start to depend on these models more and more you know that could be the main basis where infiltrators are going to want to come in particularly with large language models like it would be great to be able to attack a large language model. Now I'm putting on my nefarious hat. Attack a large <laughs> language model. Right. And you suck. <laughs> uh, I'm not giving any hackers out. I don't think we have really good people who listen to this podcast. So they're not going to do anything with this information. But essentially using that to slowly corrupt a model over time that people have begun to trust and influence. So. That's a different side of machine learning security, right? That you're talking about, not. Yes, but that's also super interesting. Um, I remember reading some articles from Kevin Roos from the New York Times about how he's been playing with Bing 
and stress testing it. And I can only imagine, you know, he was doing it to write articles and to like, you know, help OpenAI see like some of the vulnerabilities and help Microsoft see some of the vulnerabilities in Bing. Um, but with the wrong person with the right amount of time, you know, and incentives, that's a really interesting problem that's like, ooh. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely think that cybersecurity people have the most job security, um, <laughs> which is kind of mind-boggling. But it's also will be interesting just to see how like tactics change. You know, when I know when large language models really like first hit the market in November with ChatGPT, everyone was just saying like how, one of the reasons of why they would be harmful is that you know people could use these to do bad things faster, like phishing attacks, etc. But I didn't oftentimes hear people say, what if you just actually infiltrate the language model, right? It was all about using them to do bad things versus actually infiltrating the model in itself. Where do you think that's headed with in terms of security? Like, do we, do you think people are going to be using them for nefarious purposes or we're going to have to start worrying about our models being infiltrated? I think all of the above, right? Like you said, um, the unfortunate reality of like, you know, the flip side of what we talked about at the top, which was like our lives are aligned, you're making more friends, you're so much more connected, is that disruptive behavior has kind of become more widespread, or maybe we're just more susceptible to it because we're also online, right? So the stakes are getting higher and higher. Um, I spoke at the Pro Social Summit earlier this week kind of about this topic, which is like, how do we minimize disruptive behavior in online environments and on platforms? And, you know, specifically with large language models, I do know that there are security people who do like penetration testing and there's all the red teams that are trying to like break these things all the time, right? Like that's their whole job. But at the same time, like they've got their work cut out, for them, right? That's definitely not going to be an easy field. Because you're only as as good as like you're only gonna be as good at your job as you can be creative in like a nefarious way, right? And like it's always changing. You're you're gonna have to constantly be evolving with it. I think that's something security people are used to because the nature of attacks are always evolving. Because you're again you're going against like human adversaries who are always trying to get a leg up. But I don't know. It's an interesting problem space that on the one hand I find really like enticing and it's kind of fun and you think like oh like I want to break into stuff you know but on the other hand it's like so stressful and you're just thinking you know I don't you just have a lot of trust that this work is being done by someone somewhere so that we're all safe do you think that movies play a role into it a lot in terms of almost romanticizing the role of the hacker I, I just feel that within like every type of CIA movie or, you know, Oceans 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, right. There's always like, if I'm, if I'm putting together my Oceans 13 team, like I definitely have to make sure I have like the hacker in there, right? So I wonder what role like movies and television play in like romanticizing this role as well. And do you have any insight into just what are the incentives for hackers to begin with? Is it always a money grab of like, hey, I'm going to confiscate something or do something and try and do it for ransom? Or do some people just do this for fun, right? To For fun, for sure. Cloud, fun. You know, it's, it's interesting because I don't purport to be like an expert in the hacker community. Um, I've only been doing this for three years, so I'm relatively new to the field. But 
Um, what's crazy to me is that when I think back to like a couple of the larger in the last year, so thinking like lapses, um, that was actually like, I don't even remember, like a 14 or 15 year old kid who pulled that off. And you start to realize that a lot of these large hacks are actually like teenagers. And so when you have people who either have a lot of free time or you're just a teenager and you kind of are like, you know, you YOLO your way through your teenage years. Like I was doing the same thing. I just wasn't gang. I was like, you know, killing my Sims in the swimming pool by deleting their uh, exit. <laughs> the what's it called? The ladder from the pool. But, you know. I just saw a great a meme of actually a TikTok about that and people like relived it, right? Of jumping in the pool and then like the ladder is gone from the pool and all hell breaks loose, right? Like, what are we going <laughs> to? <laughs> yeah, that was my sadistic teenagers. Um, so, yeah, I think that when, so when you're younger, right? Like, things i don't know is it you're like your frontal cortex isn't fully developed and so like your ability to reason through like long-term consequences isn't quite there um and so you're you're more inclined to do stuff like this but you're also like you know teenagers like they're so technically competent and advanced like their lives are all aligned right and so i feel like it's a natural path to want to just kind of like be a little bit wild and and I don't know, shirk authority in a way, but like you don't have a nation state, you know, like there's like a lot that you have to cross, presumably. Um, and so I don't know. And I think within the hacking community, right, there's always been, you know, there are people that do this for fun. There are people who did this in their past and turn white hat and help companies like, you know, protect themselves. I think the community is extremely large and diverse and like, I don't know. Aside from the money, like it's easy to understand monetary incentives. Like obviously people want to hack for money. Um, but I think there's a whole other level of this that's just boredom, clout. It's interesting. It's kind of fun to feel like you got around some system. So if you're doing it for like a bug bounty program, right? Like you might be a hacker who does this, but then they'll tell the company that they got in, you know, this is what I did. And either get some reward or just feel like, you know, I get to do the thing I love to do, which is like, you know, mess around, but I'm like ultimately helping. And so I don't know. I think it's an interesting and complex field. I, I, it kind of comes to human nature, right? Like just wanting to stress test the systems around you and feel like you're kind of like, I don't know, doing something a little bit naughty. My my neuroscience hat now is like, oh, I want to study hackers and the brains here. <laughs> um so talking about being a little naughty, you started a group called Rebel Data Science. Um, what, what's up with the rebel side of it? Why did you feel like there was a need for not just data scientists, but rebel data scientists? <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I had been posting on LinkedIn for a little while. I've gone full like memeward off the rails lately but before i used to be a little bit more measured but sometimes the real me would like come out in the comments or especially with trolls like i'd go snark like hard against them just because like i don't know what are you gonna do i was raised on the internet okay um and, and one time you know when people make the threads about like here's who you should follow for whatever um someone and i wish i could remember who it was because i love them forever for this because it was so funny was like you should follow Carly. 
she is the rebel data scientist who's just like, you know, basically telling it how it is. And I don't know why I thought that was hilarious. And sometimes it takes someone else saying that about you to see like, oh, I guess I am the one person out here who's like talking shit openly on LinkedIn, you know, like, here we go. Uh, and so it just kind of stuck and I started saying it and then it became my business from that because I was like, well, what else am I going to call it? You know, like I did have like an LLC that was just my name for a while. And I was like, this is so much more fun. I feel like it fits my brand of everyone's got a little rebel in them, right? <laughs> yes. No, I agree. And I, I love that it came from somebody like making a comment in the thread and you know, that's one of the things I've noticed, just I'm not a gamer, but my husband is a big gamer and, you know, like he shows me the chats. He's like, I just made a new friend and all this. And, you know, he's more shy to be on social because he's a word that I think is gaming personalities that come out, which is like, that's not okay for LinkedIn where you just really troll people, right? Just for fun and have a lot of fun with it. And it's so interesting to me how there are these different cultures and um, definitely a different way of communicating in the gaming world. And so I love that you like in a way brought some of that to LinkedIn because I think it was needed in a refreshing perspective. But were there ever aspects of when you did that where you would just question yourself of like, is this the right place for me to be doing this? Am I going to get like booed off this platform? Like, how did you do it? confidently and with ease and have created this amazing brand for yourself i think i eased into it um so there were times where i was like oh no i hope my boss doesn't see that i posted that or like just some shenanigans that i was thinking like this is probably ill-advised um it came from a couple different places right so i do come from a place right now of extreme privilege in that like, i'm far enough along in my career um, I feel secure enough in my career and in my skills that I'm not really worried about like having a bad performance review because of LinkedIn. Right. I think that with my relationship with my manager and with their company, like they see it, I feel like it's more of a, it's at least a net neutral, if not a benefit for both of us, for me to have an online presence, because I do talk about Activision a lot. I talk about Call of Duty a lot. Um, and I think that brand awareness is good. But at the same time, like my brand isn't just about that, you know, but you always do have to be careful because it's a professional platform. And even though I say like, I never speak on behalf of Activision, right? I'm not a spokesperson. There's, you know, nothing I say comes from them or is about them, really. Um, there is a reflection. Exactly. They don't approve anything. I think <laughs> for, for probably sometimes if I didn't. But um you know, I think that it just, it came from a place of, one, it's my personality. And I'm like, you know, I can sanitize myself for LinkedIn to a point, And I do, right? Like, I'm not going full, like, like your husband, like gamer mode on LinkedIn. Um, but at the same time, there's a piece of, like, what we always talk about at work, right? Is like, you can, you're the most happy at work if you can bring your genuine self to work. And if I can't even be a piece of my genuine self on LinkedIn, like where the hell can I be me? You know, and if people have a fundamental problem with that, um, as long as I'm not saying anything like inflammatory or just incorrect or, you know, like there's obviously a limit. But with your personality, if you can't even do that, like what can you do? 
And if I can't do that in gaming, where can I do it? (laughs) No, I think that's so important for people to hear and also remember that it's not really a matter of fear of like, what are other people going to think? But like, it helps you find your place, right? Like, okay. And, you know, obviously don't say anything that's mean or inappropriate or offensive to individuals. But more importantly, like if you're being your true self, like, and you get fired from a place, like maybe that wasn't the place for you, right? I think it's more important of like, is this true to me? And if it's true to me, then that should give you all the confidence needed to be able to put it out in the world so that you can find the other rebels out. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I'm sure some people have unfollowed me along the way, right? Like they don't like my approach to things. They don't like the language that I use sometimes, right? But like, that's okay because other people are out there that are like loving it and we have fun and we laugh. Uh, And so it's also, yeah, it's more about finding like your people than appealing to like a mass audience. And so I don't know. I think, I think you can find both. It just has to be, I think authenticity is probably the biggest thing that I've found that people want. They want to feel like they're connecting to someone else who's authentic, right? And this is really me, you know, mess, the messiest of messes. So, but actually, I'm pretty good. I've been on some calls today and the background was a lot more messy. So I don't know if you clean it up for this, but it looks great. Um, Shifting back into machine learning a little bit more, you know, this year has been the year where like everybody jumped on the AI train. Like I haven't seen so many people be AI professionals overnight. It's incredible, you know, but um, more, I know it's, it's, I wish it happened faster for me because it it did not. Um, Where do you think it's headed, you know, particularly in the work that you're doing within gaming, but more importantly, just as an individual who's worked in the field for multiple years and, you know, seen lots of different tools and techniques. Like, how do you not get Um, This is probably going to be not a satisfactory answer. I don't know. We are at, like, such a crazy inflection point right now with generative AI that anything I say is literally just a barely educated guess at this point i think that the world is going to fundamentally change in ways that we probably can't even comprehend right now right like i posted about this on linkedin a couple weeks ago i think like we it's almost like when the automobile was invented and you could maybe if you had the right set of eyes back then foresee a future where we'd have these wide streets and you'd have these pieces of land entirely dedicated to just parking cars right? And you'd have highways and you'd have all this infrastructure just for this invention. But at the time, you're also kind of like, but what about the horses? And like, we have all this infrastructure to pick up their poop and like, make sure they can eat during the day. Like there was all this other shit that they had going on that they were trying to balance. And it was like, okay, which one's going to be more important? You can't think about that while you're still maintaining this like legacy system. Um, And there was a time where like they were sharing roads with each other, right? And that's crazy to me to think about because why the hell would you ever ride a horse when there's a car available? Like that, that seems crazy, right? But like, obviously it had to happen. It wasn't a full like takeover overnight. I think we're there. Like, and I think some smart people are probably thinking of like, what's the, you know, the metaphorical parking lot or freeway going to be from Gen AI. It's not me. 
But I can confidently say, I think we're like kind of at this point in history that we're all going to look back and be like, oh, I remembered when we still used Google and ChatGPT, you know, like we were sharing the internet between these things. And, you know, I don't know. It It is amazing when you look back, right? When you look back at, you know, going from horses and buggies to cars. And um, I grew up in like rural Iowa and there were a lot of Amish people that lived around us and still had horses and buggies. So like they do still exist too, right? So you'll find it's just like in small pockets of it, right? And But um, more importantly, like I was just talking with a friend the other day of like, do you remember when we had CDs and like how big of a deal it was to get an album and you'd have like these huge things you'd carry around in your car and have to like flip through them and they'd be like, I can't find the one you look for and they yell at the other person because you know, you know it's in there and and, and like I remember so much. And like then you didn't want to change it out so you'd have to listen to like the whole album and really commit to it. But you know, I remember that time, but I don't even remember like throwing away my CDs or like getting rid of them. It was such a gradual progression too that it almost takes a second to like think back to like, oh, we used to work that way, right? We still, yeah, we get so caught up in terms of even my iPad or not my iPad, my iPod. I'm like, I was like, so love my Nano, right? Like, I was I know, like, this is amazing, all of these songs, and now it's now it's all streaming, and I don't even know when I switched over to that either. And so, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's going to be hard to even determine what the future looks like because it's, while it seems fast, it also is going to be gradual, and we're going to adapt to it in ways that, you know, we as humans do so well adapting and have in the past. So in terms of not just where machine learning and AI is headed next, what's next for you? Like when you think about kind of where you want to go and what you want to do next, um, you have an amazing career and job and have established Rebel Data Science. What's what's next for you? I want to do so many things. I feel like that's such a hard question. I tell people online, I'm like, you need your one-year plan. You need your five-year plan. And here I am just like YOLO all the time. Who knows where I'm going? I have no idea. Um, I think for now, I want to stay in gaming. I love gaming. I think that there's some of the problems that we're trying to solve to me are very fundamental problems. And it doesn't just affect gamers. Um, I've been reading Snow Crash, uh, which was like the original book that kind of excited the metaverse as this idea, right? And it's it's really interesting to see how like, Gaming and GPUs like accelerated so many things that actually ended up touching data science and machine learning and like health tech, right? And so I find myself really interested in a ton of spaces, like dabbling in health tech now. I'm talking to a couple of companies about what they have going on. I'm going to a conference next month um, just to talk to people there about health tech. And so I think if I were to leave gaming, it would be to do something really health related that I feel like I'm actually helping people. Uh, I think with our skill sets, you know, it's almost unconscionable at this point to either not work on like big problems that the world needs help solving. So for me, it's either like climate change or healthcare seem like the two big ones. Uh, 
but for now I'm also enjoying helping people just play games, which seems super low stakes compared to those other two things, but I find space in my heart to accept all of them. No, I I love where you're headed also in just when I was talking about Snow Crash literally three nights ago and we're like, this is where it's all headed. This is the future. I love sci-fi books and movies and all that because I think the people who write them are the original creators. Like, If you work in technology, oftentimes you're inspired by that and then you're just the one who's like putting the pieces together to create it. But I'm like, the people who wrote the book, like they're the, one, they're the creators. They're the ones who came up with this whole world that I couldn't even imagine existed. And um, I'm obsessed with the show Foundation right now on Apple TV because I think that's another one that's like really gives a good insight in yeah if you want to get into health it talks about like replicating your genes and like one emperor living on forever because like you can just create replicas great so anyway so if you like all the sci-fi and want to see kind of like maybe what's next um recommend that but yeah i love where you're headed it's i think you do have to have both of the one-year plan the five-year plan but also like the flexibility right? To be open to new ideas and getting new inspiration, going to a health conference. Like that's incredible. Most people are like, no, I need to stay in my industry or stay in my space, but like go into a different industry and space, get inspiration because you're going to meet people who will learn from you and they're going to, you're also going to get inspired by other people. So I like, I like the plan. Um, As we wrap up today, any advice you have for young people looking to begin a career in machine learning or just advice for young people in general? Probably expanding on what we talked about earlier. Um, have a plan for yourself if you can, but definitely also give yourself a lot of grace. You know, we're at a point right now where the job market is admittedly extremely tough. Anyone trying to make a change or break into something right now is going to have a hard time. So, you know, always give yourself Give yourself the grace to fail, but always bet on yourself as well, right? Because no one's going to be your biggest advocate more than you are. No one's going to be your biggest cheerleader more than you are. If you find that that's not true and you, you know, sometimes beat yourself up. I struggle with that too. Uh, and that's where the grace for yourself comes in. And sometimes it's hard to find. But I think that as we all navigate life and try to figure out where we, where we want to be, you know, having that space for ourselves is the most important thing. Um, but then again, I come from Vegas, so I do say bet on yourself, right? You just have to, you have to know that if you try something new, you are going to slay it all day, every day. And you have to believe that even if it's completely delusional or like the kids say you're Delulu, you know, live your Delulu life because no one else is going to live it for you. I agree. Well, that is amazing advice and a great way to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll be sure to link your social links in in the show notes so everybody can follow along for more fun and entertainment so thank you again have a great rest of your day happy weekend and a big thank you to our listeners remember to stay curious and keep learning and we'll catch you next time on the data Bye. thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the data bytes podcast if you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.